Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. John chapter 10 would be like a mountaintop uh, passage. When you're thinking about the big passages throughout the Bible, this is one of the very biggest. And so it's exciting to look at it and to kind of pick it apart and see what it means for our lives. Uh, As you're turning there to John chapter 10, about a week or so ago, my wife and one of my sons, Leland, was getting ready to go to basketball practice. And uh, Jackie told me, she said, she she had the idea, why don't we like, you know, um, why don't you come with me to basketball practice instead of her going by herself, which she often does, or I go by myself. We thought we would go together. And since we hadn't seen each other all day and there was a couple meetings that kept me out the the evenings before, this was going to be like a date, right? We're going to, we're going to hang out and watch our kid practice basketball. But then she reminded me that she planned on having a conversation with the coach before um, basketball practice started because he had been using inappropriate language with the, with the kids and she's gonna have a little confrontation with them, right? And so I decided she can go by herself and, um, <laughs> and I didn't really wanna go. Uh, I don't have a problem with confrontation, especially if you're doing it for right reasons and stuff like that. It just makes me uncomfortable, you know? And so I was like, Ugh, you know? Um, yeah, and she's a big girl, so she, she she went and she did great at it. She did, she was very sweet and compassionate and kind and all that sort of stuff like she always is. And uh, the coach, you know, he repented. He, he already knew. He knew what was coming and, and uh, he apologized to the boys. And then, and then he's been really great and encouraging since. So that's good on both sides of it. Everything worked out, uh, you know, the way that it's supposed to. Did your mom ever do anything like that when you were growing up? Anybody? My mom did. She did it a number of times. I'm used to a woman um, that will do this sort of thing, but it just makes you uncomfortable, right? It's like, ah, man, I don't want to do that. My son did not like this at all, but, you know, I think she was right in it. And so uh, there's a number of circumstances when you're a kid that your mom or your dad might do something like that makes you uncomfortable, but then you grow up a little bit and something grows up within you too. You see somebody talking uh, trash or, you know, being mean or bullying your friend and you step into that and you're like, that's, nay, hey, we're not saying those things. We're not, that's not the way this is going to happen, you know. Or maybe a customer speaks to a coworker in a way that is disrespectful or dehumanizing or something and you're like, you have nothing to do with it. But you walk over there and you, and you get something to do with it, right? You know, like you can go, you can go to our competitor or something like that. And that's a good thing to do. Or, you know, um, you start to have children, your own, you know, and, and nothing will rile you up more than thinking that your child might be being bullied, right? You know, you will go down there and fight that third grader if you need to fight that third grader because we ain't having that, you know? There's just something that gets up in you. It's like, no, no, this is not happening. Last week I told y'all, or we talked about a passage, John chapter 9, in which Jesus heals a blind man. Gives them sight. And that's a good thing. That's a good story, right? Everybody should be happy about that. But it ends, it ends in which the religious leaders kick him out of the faith community. And Jesus, as Jesus does, seeks him out, finds him, encourages him, um, is compassionate to him. It's in that moment where the man who was physically blind and then got uh, physical sight becomes spiritually 
aware and spiritually sight and he follows Jesus and Jesus compassionately loves this guy, you know, that sort of stuff. And then he turns around and he looks at the other guys and goes, we ain't having this no more. Y'all are going to stop. And he really confronts in a very bold way the religious leaders at the time. Now, we're removed by several centuries, a couple millennia. And so it doesn't sound as bold or as strong or as confrontational to us and to our modern ears, but it truly is. Jesus is making an extremely bold statement about those leaders as his his contemporary leaders. And he does so not not, um, like in an op-ed, not behind their back. He does this, saying this to their face, looking at them in the eye. So we're going to pray and then we're going to unpack what it is that Jesus says and then maybe how it would apply to our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this morning and thank you for the fun. Thank you for the excitement of D-Now and the students that are, are here on our campus this morning, those who serve, those who volunteered, those who, who sought you to know more about you. God, we pray for our hearts this morning as we, as we hear this, this pivotal passage, one of the, the weightier texts in all of the Bible. I pray that our, our minds would be ready that we'd be receptive to it, that our hearts would be challenged and that we would change. God, I pray for those who are lost, wayward, wandering around without direction, protection, provision, comfort. God, I pray that they would find that today. Not in me, not in my words, not in this church or what we do, but in you, the good shepherd. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. If you were to title this chapter in the Bible, and your Bible may have this title on it, it should say, The Good Shepherd. That's the title. And Shepherd really brings up this idea that we are just unfamiliar with. It's one of the reasons that I wanted sheep on the, on the property this morning because we are just so removed from livestock. We're so removed from sheep in particular that, that a lot of what's being said in this text is you're just really going to miss it. You're going to really miss it if you're not um, thinking critically, if you're not challenging your own perceptions and your own uh, uh, held biases towards the text. And so the, the, the big concept is this one of my very favorite motifs in the Bible, and it is shepherd leadership, shepherding. And what that means throughout the Bible, often we just think of it as like a side character or an obvious thing that happened in the ancient Near East, and yet the Bible elevates the motif of shepherding to a point that we cannot ignore. In fact, you must think deeply about it. Shepherding in the Bible is brought to the forefront as the idea of leadership. It is the model for leadership. We don't often think of it that way. And it wasn't just the ancient Jews, the ancient Near East, all over the communities there, not only in Egypt and Babylon, Samaria, other texts have um, extra biblical texts in which they referred to their leadership in the idea of shepherding. Shepherding, again, is the model for leadership in the entirety of the Bible. Now, why is that challenging to us? Because we wouldn't imagine that. If I was to give you a piece of paper and say, write down the greatest leaders you've ever, you've ever seen or, or thought of, or maybe paint a picture of a person that embodies leadership to you, many of you would paint or describe a general or a president. You would describe some sort of um, uh, CEO, some sort of maybe prophet or priest or a king. And all of those have been teased out in a way that we have used those kingly 
models or shepherd or uh, priestly models or, or even um, prophet sort of models in our minds to think of that's what leadership is. And yet that's not what the Bible does. In fact, it doesn't do that anywhere. We have in our mind this idea that shepherding is what I would call lamb babysitting. All right. Like if you were to think about a shepherd, most of us would think about somebody who is um, modest or homely, that they would be um, maybe sitting on a rock somewhere and that they'd have this little baby lamb in their, in their arms and they would just be petting it, you know, saying, shh, go to sleep now, go to sleep, that sort of thing. Just comforting and just this idea of, of somebody that is just going to make sure that the lamb always feels in the right. And so think about that for a second. If we were to understand Jesus as that sort of person, then we would expect Jesus to always just be patting us on the head, saying, shh, go to sleep now. It's all going to be fine. You're good. You're good where you are. And yet the Bible challenges that idea. Shepherds in the Bible are heroic. They're strong. They're confrontational. They're brave. Moses and David were both shepherds before they were Um, nation builders and kings. All of the heroes in the Bible or most of the heroes in the Bible are described as shepherds, not just Moses, David, but obviously Jesus and then eventually Peter. These, these, These are not the images of lamb babysitters. You wouldn't describe David as a lamb babysitter or Moses certainly not and definitely not Peter, right? There's this strength, there's this power to it. John is going to use the idea of shepherd leadership three times in his gospels. And so do the other gospel writers as well, especially when they're talking about the model for leadership. But in particular, John writes down three particular texts that bring to the front the idea of shepherd leadership, that motif of leaders being modeled after shepherds. It challenges our concepts. And so similar to what we did a few weeks ago when we looked at the idea of light, you remember that? We held up the concept of light and we said, maybe you think of it this way or maybe you think of it this way or maybe you think of it that way, but maybe all of those put together is a more complete image. We're going to challenge the way that we think of shepherds and what it means for our lives and and what it means for our churches and our walk. And so what I want to do this morning is to look at these characteristics of what the good shepherd is. And my hope is that when we're all done with this, that if you have never followed the good shepherd, you would do that this morning. That this morning would begin your following of the good shepherd. Also, that if you are a follower of the good shepherd, then you would begin to lead the way that Jesus leads. In whatever realm of leadership you have, whether it's on a team or in a a business, maybe you own a business or you're a boss, or maybe you're a, a dad or a mom, those sort of situations, all of those can benefit from looking at this. Okay, so the first characteristic is found in one through six. Let me read that passage to you. You can follow along in the text that you have there in your hands. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And the gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Verse five, and they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him, the stranger, because they don't know the voice of the strangers. 
Verse six, Jesus gave them this figure of speech, this illustration, this model, but they didn't understand what he was telling them, right? Isn't that what, we all do that, right? So it's not too bad on those guys. The first model here is this emphasis on voice, this emphasis on call. In other words, shepherds call and comfort. Shepherds call and comfort. Good shepherds do. What was happening in the first century with shepherding is that they would often at night take their flocks. Let's say there's four or five different shepherds. They would take their four or five different flocks and they would pin them up together. They would lead them into that pen, often a stone pen or maybe a wood pen, lead them in there and they would all just get all jumbled up in the night, right? And just moving around, keeping warm, keeping safe in numbers. And in the morning, the gatekeeper would open the gates or remove himself and the shepherd would step in and call out make some sort of particular call, maybe had some sort of yip or bark or some sort of noise that he said. And this act would actually draw out his sheep from being all mixed with the bigger flock. So like I said, there's five flocks in there. One shepherd steps in, makes a noise, uses his voice, and his flocks separate themselves out of the greater flock. He doesn't need to go remove them. He doesn't need to pull them out. It's not the branding or the tag on the ear. He is just pulling them out by his voice. None of the other sheep will follow his voice. That's what Jesus says, because that's what they did. It was a figure of speech that Jesus is using, an illustration that Jesus is using to to undergird the idea that shepherds use their voice, that Jesus is going to use his voice in a particular way as the good shepherd. And what's that particular way? Well, the first thing is that the shepherd's voice is clear, that it's clear, they hear it. He says there that he calls his own sheep. They hear, they know what their shepherd sounds like. When you're following Jesus, the longer that you follow Jesus, the more clear his voice is gonna be in your life. The more you read the scriptures and Holy Spirit guides you and illuminates in your heart, the more that you grow in Christ-like love for other people, you're gonna be more in tune with what the shepherd, our good shepherd Jesus is telling us to do. It takes time, it's something that develops, but it's something that you can do. I've often, or not often, but there have been numerous occasions in which people will tell me something that they say, God told me to, and they fill in the blank. And I'm sitting there thinking, there is no way God told you to do that. Listen, God does not tell any of his sheep to do anything that is contrary to the scriptures. He does not do that. The longer that we walk with Jesus and know the scriptures and know the word of God and Holy Spirit illuminates that word in our lives and in our souls, the more we clearly hear Jesus's voice and then we follow him in that way. Not only is the shepherd's voice clear, but it's also personal. He says he calls his own sheep by name. Shepherds in the ancient Near East would name all of their sheep, all right? They would name them all usually by characteristic and not just like spot or or, or shorty or something like that. They would name them things like tagalong or stub, short for stubborn, or I I don't know, just some sort of name like that or sweet or gentle. They would name them their sheep by their personalities. What Jesus is saying is that he knows those who are his followers. He knows your personality. He knows your characteristics. He knows what makes you distinct and what makes you unique. He doesn't see that as a flaw. He made you that way. There's this personal touch. There's this personal connection between the shepherd and his voice speaks your name. How different is it to know that Jesus knows your name? 
He knows your personality. He knows your history. He knows all your baggage and all your potential. He knows all of that and loves you still. His voice is clear, sets the direction. His voice is personal and loving and compassion, compassionate, but also his voice is comforting. It says when he has brought all his outside, all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. It's an interesting, um, what do you call it? Like there's an interesting phrase that gets used over and over in the Bible that is easy to miss. It's this idea of going out and coming in, going out and coming in. In Numbers, and I, I forgot it in the eight o'clock, I should have looked it up. I think it's Numbers 27. But in Numbers uh, around that, that neighborhood of 27, Moses it knows that he is about to pass. God has told him that you're about to pass. And so Moses prays that God would give the children of Israel a leader that would go out before them and bring them back in. He prays that phrase. And he says, so that they would be not, that they would not be sheep without a shepherd. See, the, the concept, the idea, that language of going out and coming back in, it's used again later with David's coronation. It's used constantly with Jesus. Is this shepherding language. Leading sheep is different than, than driving cattle. Like if you've seen movies or those sort of things, you see a, a herd of cattle and you'll see the cowboys on the, uh, on the horses or you'll see dogs and they're, they're pushing the cattle forward. They'll, they'll make sure that they're going in a direction that they want to do. With sheep in the ancient Near East, in the first century, they led them with their voices, that they would call out to them and they would follow behind them. That as they used their voices, the sheep would follow along behind them. And this wasn't only just the way that they led them. This was so that the shepherd would encounter any sort of danger before the sheep encountered that danger. If the shepherd was behind the sheep, driving them forward, then a wolf can do a ton of damage before the shepherd gets to the front. That if there was a wolf, the shepherd's going to face that first. That if there's a bear, if there's a lion... If there's a cliff, then the shepherd is going to see those things first. He's going to deal with those matters first. It's comforting to know that the shepherd's voice is out ahead. That when he speaks, there's a clear direction. And he knows us by name and he's protecting us. I can't help it. It's just because of my age. But I constantly think of characteristics of God in light of the Lion King the animated Disney movie. I just, I just do. And um, so much about that movie is always going through my mind. And this is one of those cases that happened today where I'm thinking about the voice of our shepherd being protective. And you remember that scene in which Simba and Nala are in trouble and the hyenas are about to eat them, you know, that sort of stuff. And, and it looks really scary and there's smoke and there's all this sort of stuff going on. And then all of a sudden Mufasa shows up and he roars real loud. Y'all remember that scene? Anybody? You should watch it. It's a great scene. He roars and instantly the hyenas are terrified and Simba and Nala are comforted because the voice is really all Mufasa had to do. That was the strength. That was the comfort. This is what our shepherd does. Listen, you know, the opposite of this is troubling. That if you're following Jesus and you have this direction, you have this clear call that comforts and knows you and protects you. But if you're not following Jesus, then that means one of two really bad situations. Either you're just wandering through life without point or direction or protection, or you're following an evil voice. You're going down a path that you ought not go down. You're going down a direction that is not good for you. Jesus is that good shepherd. It reminds me of those times when you're walking through downtown, maybe our downtown or another downtown. 
You come to an intersection, you push the button, you're going to cross, it's not time to cross, and so it'll make a noise. Y'all heard that? It goes, and then all of a sudden, when it's time, it'll go, walk, walk, walk. You know, it's great. Clear direction. That's all I need. That's all I was planning on doing. You know, and so it just tells you it's time to go. You don't go when it's, you go when it says walk. And that sort of clarity, the longer you walk with Jesus, the clearer you're going to hear him say. When he says, talk, talk, walk, be quiet. You know, that sort of stuff. God is going to say those things to you. And we ought to listen. So the voice of the shepherd calls and comforts. Look at the next section there, seven through 10. And then Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep don't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out. Y'all see the phrase? Come in and go out and find pasture. That's provision. At the beginning of verse 10, it says, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. The real sobering thought here is that sheep need protection. If you go out after the service, you go over there in the lobby, you'll see the sheep, the lambs there, and you'll notice almost immediately that they are helpless. They need protection. They need somebody else to protect and to care for them and to guide them. One of the reasons that I feel like the whole shepherding motif or the shepherding idea gets fall by the wayside that we don't really spend a lot of time on it is because if we have a good shepherd by implication, then we are the helpless sheep. And that just really, that doesn't set right with us. We like to be strong and we like to be independent. I'm not a sheep. Well, Let me just uh, encourage you in two ways. First of all, John chapter 10 is primarily about the similarities between Jesus and a good shepherd. That's what it's about. It's not designed or it's not built or it's not speaking. Jesus isn't standing up there and say, I am a good shepherd and you are a dumb sheep. That's That's not what he's saying. So you don't need to be offended by the words of Jesus. Secondly, I would say that I think we vastly overestimate our independence and our wisdom, right? Anybody that lives for any period of time realizes, I don't know anything. I don't know how to do anything. I need a shepherd. I am not strong and as independent and as, as, uh, as uh, strong and independent as I think I am, right? I need a shepherd. But the reality is that sheep need to be protected. And he says he is the gate. Isn't that a strange phrase? How are you the shepherd and the gate? Shepherds are people, gates are inanimate objects, and yet not in the first century. In the first century, that pen that I told you about just has a doorway, just a a, a little passage like this, and the sheep would all go, they'd all be led inside of the pen, and then the shepherd, I assume taking turns or whoever the low man on the totem pole or something like that, would spend the night sitting in the entrance. You can't get out. He's going to keep you in there and... Secondly, and this is the most important thing, ain't nothing getting in there unless it goes through him. That's vastly different. So when Jesus says, I am the shepherd, I am the gate. He's literally saying, I'm standing guard. I'm standing guard. Last couple of nights we've had D now. We were a host home for the eighth grade boys or one of the eighth grade boys groups. And so there were all sorts of noises in my house all night long, you know, and um, it neither comforted me nor the dog, right? And, and so this was just a reality. You ever been laying in bed and you hear a noise late at night and you think to yourself, 
Did I lock the door? Does that ever happen? Is it just me? Okay. You ever woke up in the morning and you go out there to find that you left the garage doors open? Just wide open declaration to the entire planet, I am not paying attention. Come on in, you know, that sort of thing. It happens. But you think to yourself that there is this danger, this, this thing outside. And you think, well, did I lock the door? My next thought is always, but did the thief get past my lock? Did he pick my lock? Did he, did he, did he somehow bypass the lock, right? Putting your faith in an inanimate Putting your faith in an inanimate object is not that strong, but putting your faith in Christ, this isn't a gate latch. This isn't a chain thrown around a post. This is Christ himself saying, nothing gets to you, my sheep, without going through me. I am that gate. I could stand up here and tell you stories about times in which I have laid in bed and I heard a noise and I thought to myself, there is clearly undeniably a murderer in my house and he has a silencer and I'm about to, I'm about to be gone. That's just the way. And I just lay there thinking, should I get up and confront this guy or, or not? I've thought those thoughts. You've thought those thoughts, you know? And you could even laugh at it and dismiss it due to the copious amount of Dateline that I watch and say that that's probably why you think that all the time. And you would be right. You would be right. You would say, that's silly. You are not in any sort of danger. You might even encourage me and go, listen, there's no bad guy. You're fine. There's no bad guy. But here's the danger. Here's the reality to our spiritual souls. We live in such a safe and a comfortable world that we have lulled ourselves into the belief that there is no bad guys, that you are safe, that there is no problem. There's nobody really trying to hurt you. There's no evil. There's no wolf. And what Jesus is clearly teaching us is if, if Jesus is willing to stand guard, if Jesus is willing to be the gate, then you do have an enemy. Be sober-minded. Be aware of that. And I don't tell you that so that you would be more fearful or that you would lose sleep. I tell you that for the exact opposite. We have an enemy. But Jesus is the gate. How much safer, more reality? A lot of times people will say Christianity doesn't deal with the reality of life. That's the reality of life. There is evil and there is Jesus, right? So he is that gate. His voice is comforting and clear. It sets the direction, tells us where to go and takes on the danger before it gets to us. Because why? Because he is the gate. He provides, he protects. And also he sacrifices and he saves. Look at verse 10 again. The second part says, and I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away if he sees a wolf coming. And the wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Like I said, the shepherd calls and comforts. The shepherd protects and provides. The shepherd sacrifices and saves. At this point, Jesus really zeroes in on the danger. He says, look, there is a wolf. There are wolves, but I'll protect you. I'll give you life. Like I said, he is confronting this imagery that you find in Ezekiel 34. You can read that later. But in Ezekiel 34, God is angry with the evil shepherds. Those who are supposed to be leading 
those who were supposed to be caring, but they were so self-centered that they only cared about what they could get out of other people. They only used and abused other people. And God said, that is not why I put you in those positions of leadership. And he was talking to the kings and to the priests and to the prophets. And he says, one day there's going to come a good shepherd. John 10, Jesus says, I am that good shepherd. I have come to give you life, real life, not to abuse or misuse you. I've come to give you life. And so it begs the question for us as we're reading this, what is good life? What does good life look like? Well, you already know the answer. It's already deep down within your heart. It's something that you've heard a million times. It's Psalm 23. I want to read this with you, not to you, with you. So let's look at this passage. It's on the board behind me. You can read along with me, but read this out loud. Y'all say this with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. This is a good life. This is a real life. This is a life that provides what you need, not necessarily everything you want, but everything that you need. This is a life that doesn't pretend like there's not shadowy moments or scary times or, 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 or monsters around the corner. It doesn't pretend like life is not often, very often hard to accept or to bear or to navigate. But what it says is you have a good shepherd. God is our shepherd. You don't go through those things alone. He provides, he protects, he comforts, he calls, he sacrifices, and he saves. This good life is a life that was bought with an expensive price. This life is one that was bought with the life of Christ. See, good shepherds are willing to risk their life for the good of the sheep. They're willing to sacrifice. David, King David, while he was still a boy, was willing to risk his life for his father's sheep, for Jesse's sheep. There was a lion, he killed it. There was a bear and he attacked it and killed it. A little bit later, when the Philistines were attacking the sheep of God, the people of Israel, David was willing to stand out there as a shepherd boy and to risk his life. Very likely, everybody thought David was about to die, but David didn't care because he was willing to risk his life because he is a good shepherd, because he was a good king. Jesus not only risked his life, Jesus gave his life to purchase life for God's people, for his sheep. This is a good shepherd. This is the good shepherd. I read a sad story about a 10-year-old girl. Her name was Kiera. And she was out playing with a one and a two-year-old in the front, in the driveway. And inexplicably, the SUV, the family SUV started to roll backward, to roll down. Nobody had touched it. It just started to roll backward. Kiara, as a 10-year-old, risked her life to save the one and the two-year-old, and she was successful, and she passed away. She didn't make it. She gave her life for somebody else. 
It's tragic, but it is heroic. And Jesus does that on a massive, eternal, cosmic scale. Puts himself in the path of danger to give life to somebody else. So this is a biblical shepherd. One of my passions in life is to confront the idea that shepherd leadership is just quietly holding people's hand and patting them on the head, agreeing with whatever they think and making sure that they are comfortable in their own ignorance. Shepherds fight. Shepherds call out with clarity. Shepherds sacrifice for the good of the flock. They're not afraid of the confrontation for what is right and for what is good. This is what Moses gave his life for. This is how David reigned and ruled. This is how Jesus led. This is a good shepherd. Jesus is the the better and the greater Moses and David. He is the good shepherd. So how do we apply this to our lives? How do we walk out of here with something to do with this? Well, it's really fascinating. We spent the whole morning thinking about the idea of shepherd. And I hope that you will never again think of a shepherd as just like a lamb babysitter. You'll see him more like an avenger or a soldier, a leader that way. But there's another word in there, good. He is the good shepherd. When you hear that word good, you probably think of it, more than likely, we all think of it in one of two categories. The first one is that he's good as opposed to being bad, right? He's a good shepherd, not a bad shepherd. Bad shepherds lose sheep. He doesn't lose sheep. Bad shepherds don't know their names. Bad shepherds let the wolves come in. He doesn't do that. He's a good shepherd. Lots of baby lambs, lots of healthy, happy sheep. He's a good shepherd. And that's true. He is a good, successful shepherd, but that's not what he's saying. We might think of it in another category in which we would think of it as opposed to evil, like good versus evil. Evil shepherds, are, they misuse, they abuse the sheep. But Jesus is righteous, he's just, he doesn't do that. He, he brings life, he brings provision, he brings protection. And that's true about Jesus. He is successful as a shepherd and he is a righteous shepherd, but that's not the word that he uses. This is extremely interesting and it should turn our world upside down. When he uses the word good there, he's using a particular word that means model. He says, I am the model shepherd. I am the model leader. So whatever realm of life that you have leadership in, whether you're a mom or a dad, a boss or, or a volunteer coordinator, whatever it is, wherever the realm of life that you have, you're a teacher, you're a coach, you're just a person that has relationships, then you ought to lead in all of those with clear calls towards what God wants for people, protecting and providing for what other people need and sacrificing yourself for the good of others. That's what Jesus did. I told you that John uses this shepherd motif three times, three very pivotal times in the gospel of John. We looked at the second one, John chapter 10, the good shepherd. The third one is in John chapter 21, where Jesus is again modeling good shepherding, good leadership as he's restoring Peter after Peter denied him and rejected him. He's modeling what a good shepherd would do in that situation. And three times Jesus is telling Peter, essentially he's saying, you're in charge now. You're the shepherd of the flock. He tells him three times in a very particular way, he says, take care of the lambs protect the sheep, feed the lambs. It's really fascinating to me 
because we just read that and we miss it. Jesus nor Peter were shepherds. Neither of them were shepherds by trade. Jesus was either a a carpenter or a craftsman. He was a stonemason or or a carpenter. And Peter was a fisherman. Neither of them are shepherds. And yet when Jesus passes the mantle on, he uses shepherding language. He says, take care of the lambs. Why? Because that's the model for leadership. Three times, take care of the lambs, take care of the sheep, take care of the lambs. So even in Jesus' teaching and in what he does, he is telling us that all aspects of life, that shepherding is the model, not kings, not CEOs, that sort of stuff. It's also interesting, and I don't think we remember this, that the word pastor literally is the same word for shepherd. That's the way that God has set up leadership. So that's the third way. We looked at the second way. John 10, the good shepherd. John 21, feed the lambs. The first one is in John 1. John chapter 1, in which John the Baptist, a different John, not the author, but a different John, sees Jesus coming toward him, and he says... Using the shepherding and the sheep motif, he says, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. See, again, from the very beginning, the shepherd would sacrifice his life for the good of the sheep. And what it teaches us is if if you want to follow Jesus, you want to be part of the flock of Jesus, then you need to have your sins removed. And we do that by trusting in the sacrifice that Jesus has made, that we trust, we accept his sacrifice, and that he will take away your sins, make you whole, and bring you into his flock. And so the encouragement for you this morning is to follow Jesus, to not be wandering without a hero, to be trying to figure it out on your own or listening to voices that are evil that will misuse and mistreat you. But listen to the voice of the shepherd, the good shepherd, the only, the model leader. Is there anybody else worth following? Is there anybody else worth following like that? Last week we had, um, this week we had D-Now, last week we had Beast Feast, a couple of really great weekends. And just because of my position, because of who I am, lots and lots of people tell me, um, thank you for Beast Feast. I hear it all the time. Um, people will stop me and tell me at the dinner, they'll come over and tell me, and I always have to respond to them, and I always do. I say, listen, I have next to nothing to do with this thing, all right? It, it is amazingly ran by this group of volunteers that, that all put all this stuff. I mean, it is mind-blowing. They just give me a t-shirt and tell me where to sit. That is, that is my job here, you know, and that's typically what I do. And I love it. I love that part of Beast Feast. I love everything else about it as well. But this year I got a job. This year they gave me a job. I needed to go pick up the speaker, which is kind of fun. And I haven't ever got to do that before, and I was really happy to do it. This, pick up the speaker and take him to lunch. That was the job that I was given. And uh, the speaker was, his name's John Kidna, and he is a former Dallas Cowboys quarterback. And so that's probably why I got that job, but I was excited. I was also nervous, all right? Um, because, you know, I'm a, I am a extreme introvert, okay? Being around people, um, especially people I don't know, I like, it's just, it takes a lot out of you. If you're an introvert, you know that. And so I, I had to prepare to go and pick up John Kitna, the former NFL Dallas Cowboys quarterback, right? And so I read his bio online. I did homework, you know, 
Extroverts don't do that. They just like pop in there. Like I'm, I'm like researching the guy, you know, and I'm going to go pick up this guy and I don't know what to do. So the two things I did was I read his bio and I pushed my passenger side seat all the way back because I imagine that he's going to be huge, right? And so I go and I park there at the Little Rock Airport and I'm texting him. I'm like, I'm right outside, this sort of stuff. And all, I, all I'm thinking is this guy's going to be bigger than life and huge hands. That's all I just kept thinking, you know, his, his hands are going to be huge and he's going to have this massive personality. And so he gets into the car and he's real nice and we meet one another, that sort of stuff. And just within like five seconds, the whole thing changes. He starts opening up about some of the things that are going on in his life, some of the struggles that he's facing, him and his family, some of the decisions that he has to make. He's like, I don't know why, but I just feel like sharing all this with you, you know? And I'm like, man, I'll pray for you, that sort of stuff. He's sharing all this sort of stuff. And at one point, it was right about when we were crossing that bridge that are working on forever in Little Rock, you know, and we're crossing that bridge there. And he leans over and he just says, hey man, I'm sorry, I'm an introvert. I was like, me too. You want to just sit here in silence on the way to Conway, you know? And I didn't say that. I thought it though, you know. I was like, man, that's cool. I am too. That's fine. You know, and he's like, I just, I just feel like sharing this stuff with you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's tough. And we're talking about all that things. And then we get a little further and we're right there about where, you know, where it levels out, it floods out a lot. But if it's not flooding, you see deer, you know, that part right there, there's hills on this side, hills on that side. Uh, we're right about that part, and he, and he goes, so what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm the pastor of this church. And he goes, sweet, never had a pastor pastor pick me up um, from the airport. And I was like, well, this was my one job, dude. This is just my one job, you know. It was just this really fun situation. I have Dallas Cowboys logos inside my truck, whether or not I'm picking up a former Dallas Cowboy. I love the Cowboys. And I don't know what it is that I expected to pick up when I was going to pick up this giant of a man, former NFL quarterback for America and God's team. (laughs) But what I'm telling you is this, it wasn't anything like that. What I ended up picking up was an introverted, normal dude, just a normal guy with a wife and kids and a job and struggles. I don't know what it is you think a shepherd is going to do. I don't know what it is you think that Jesus is supposed to do, what expectations you have for him that he's not reaching. But I would encourage you to challenge those today because it's so much better when you meet the actual shepherd as opposed to the idea you have in your mind. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.